0: Computers, this is Intelligent Performance.
1: Welcome to the Intelligent Performance podcast, where we are fanatical about excellence and champions of ambition. Today we have the pleasure of hosting Jack Dixon, the creator of the longevity-minded blog, and an expert on the art of living longer, and more importantly, living well. Jack's dedicated a large portion of his life to unraveling the intricacies of longevity, not just in terms of lifespan, which is the number of years we live, but he has a health span which focuses on the quality, functionality and mental fortitude we enjoy. Through his research and personal journey, he's established a mindset and a lifestyle It's not about just extending life, but enhancing every facet of it. In today's conversation, Jack says the essence of the longevity mindset and its broader application in life. We explore his philosophy on fitness, focusing on durability and the pivotal role of mental well-being, nutrition and sleep in the longevity equation. Jack also offers invaluable insights on how to maintain fitness without the conventional constraints of a gym, especially for those always on the move. Prepare to be enlightened on how to truly live a life that's not just long, but rich in health, quality, and vitality. Thank you for tuning in. Let's jump straight to the conversation.
2: Where I'd like to start is longevity. You know, this is your kind of subject specialist area. Where did your passion for and your kind of interest in longevity come from, though?
0: yeah first of all thank you for having me on alex i'm excited to be here so i'm 24 and i get asked this question a lot because people think you're 24 why do you care about longevity so before answering your question it might be helpful to start with a bit of a definition so everyone thinks when it comes to longevity it's just this lifespan component so how long are you alive on this earth and if i said alex you can live to 500 but you can never leave the room you're currently in. You would say, Well, I'm going to live a long time, but my quality of life would be horrible. So there's this second piece to longevity, which is health spin, and that is kind of our cognitive and physical health. So just to lay the background, that's we're talking about and thinking about when it comes to longevity. And how I got interested, I guess, was from my background playing sports and working out from, I think ever since I can remember, I was playing hockey and soccer. My dad always worked out in our garage, so he had a pretty big influence on me getting into fitness from elementary school. I stopped sports in grade 12, mainly to focus on school and getting into university. But I've been going through all these phases of you know bodybuilding and CrossFit and powerlifting. And I like different pieces of each, but they all had their drawbacks. I seem to be always fighting some injury or nagging pain and unhealthy mindsets around different aspects of the sports so for example i was benching really heavy i think i got up to 300 pounds on bench but my elbows were shot and i was battling elbow pain every time i lifted up weights i tweaked my lower back deadlifting, and i had to go to physio for my lower back so i didn't want to be this guy who was injured and tight and sore and in pain and then i came across this idea of taking different aspects of exercise and different training styles, and then combining them into one workout routine. So taking yoga and bodybuilding and powerlifting and running and calisthenics and putting that into one weekly routine. And when I changed my training to this well-rounded style, I kind of got interested into other aspects of longevity, like eating and fasting and sleeping and managing disease and improving your emotional health.
2: Interesting. So it sounds like did you come across longevity as a philosophy, as a, as a thing? And then you start to, this was this what kind of taught you to take different elements from different things you were doing, or did you start taking different elements from, you know, the different parts of fitness you were doing, and then you discovered longevity? What was the kind of order?
0: I think I discovered it after. So I think it was ah. coming from a place of, I don't want to be injured. And I don't want to be the guy with huge muscles or the guy who can lift really heavy. I want to be well rounded. So I want to be able to Mm. run and to touch my toes and to be strong. So I think it came from going from this one really extreme lifting heavy and being as big as possible to just trying to be well rounded in my fitness. And then once you get into that realm, you kind of discover some of these people like Peter Atiyah and go down to their rabbit holes and Mm. get into these other topics like fasting and how do you optimize your sleep and how do you, you know, mitigate your likelihood to get diseases. So I think it came from a place of pain. And then the training style of longevity was kind of the solution to that pain.
2: Yeah. Interesting. And you mentioned the term health span. Maybe could, could you just explain what that means?
0: Yeah, I'd love to. So with health span, we have two components. So we have a cognitive and a physical component. So I think the physical component is best thought of when it comes to something that doesn't really get talked about, which is The activities of daily living so someone like you and me we don't even think about this stuff like it's getting groceries and being able to deal with your finances and go to the washroom and get dressed on your own but as we age we lose these abilities we can no longer sit and get up and walk around and that means that we can no longer live independently so this physical component isn't just about being fit and having high energy levels now it's about preserving our abilities to continue to move and to live independently into old age. Mm. And then with the cognitive component, it's just about maintaining our cognitive sharpness and our mental well-being, having strong emotional health so being able to deal with distress, manage our relationships effectively, and of course a big piece is trying to stave off some of those cognitive diseases like parkinsons and alzheimer's and dementia.
2: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I I think it's I mean, I discovered longevity for in the last eight months, mostly thanks to to reading your newsletter, and the work you do, and some of Peter Tia's kind of podcast. But I, what I've kind of grappled with is, it seems, you know, I'm a bit older than you, but 24, you're you're really having to kind of decide, right? I'm going to play the long game, and it's it must be like a mindset shift, because I, you know, I don't know about you, but I think going through my twenties into my thirties. I still feel like, you know, I'm going to be like this for the rest of my life, naively. And it's it's tricky to, or at least my, my experience, is it's tricky to think, I've got to keep doing the work. So my, when I get to my 70s, 80s, I'm going to be in good condition because it seems so far away. And I think, oh, I don't need to. I don't need to go to the gym today. I'll be fine. So, so how I'm interested in the mindset you've had to adopt and how you kind of develop it because it, if for something that's so far in the future.
0: Yeah. So I think Peter he talks about this and he calls it I think hyperbolic discounting and humans right. are no good at hyperbolic discounting so we're not good at looking okay in 40 years I'm going to be 60 years old, or and then how can I make sure I'm in a good state when I'm 60 years old mm. well we're not very good at that and I think that's where this longevity stuff gets lost on some people is that it benefits you massively in the decades to come but Mm. it also improves your lifestyle every single day right now. Like if Mm. I couldn't extend my lifespan one bit by eating and exercising and sleeping well, I still wouldn't change how I live today because Mm. I have more energy. I feel better about myself as I move through my environment. I feel vital and strong and I can, you know, go out and run up a mountain and I still have energy after to, you know, hang out with friends or do the things I love to do. So I think that there's two pieces. It benefits you massively in you know your, your elderly years, but it also benefits you today. So I think when it comes to developing the mindset, the question is really where you are today. And everyone's going to be in a different starting place. And it means for me to live with longevity in mind might not be what it means for you. So I think it comes down to the small daily actions and making it sustainable. So it's easy to get caught in listening to someone talk about the optimal protocol and thinking, oh, if I can't you know, do three hours of zone two training per week, it's not optimal, so I should do nothing. Well, you should do, still do something, do anything that's small right. and sustainable and that you can maintain and you can build up over time. And I think when it comes to being longevity minded, it's the consistency that matters and doing the things that you can maintain over the days and weeks and years to come.
2: No, I think that is very sensible. And I kind of think the point you made about everyone's going to kind of approach it differently, I guess, depending on your motivations. I guess like for me, there were two things. One, my mum's had dementia, like Alzheimer's. So it's kind of seeing her go through that, it really sharpened my focus. Oh, wow. What do I want to, how do I want to live? So I don't go through that as well, kind of selfishly. And then secondly, you know, I think Peter, Atiyah, you talk about you want to be able to have physically, what kind of capability you want to physically when you have say grandkids for example so i'm, I'm spending time with my brother's family he's got two young kids and i have just noticed you know picking up my three-year-old nephew uh sometimes in certain angles when i pick him up i'm like oh god this is a real challenge so then i when i'm going to the gym i'm trying to work on that particular movement with a view to well when i'm older hopefully i'll, I'll have the strength now to be able to do that if i've got grandkids or whatever like that so Exactly. Yeah, I guess everyone's got an individual kind of journey. What well, What is it for you then? What's your kind of individual motivation that keep, that you're kind of playing towards in the future?
0: So, I think for me, it's almost not even thinking about the future. I think for me, oh. it's what this lifestyle does for me today. I love right. to think about how it will benefit me in the future, but I can't lie; it's not about how I'm going to be when I'm eighty because. We also don't know. I could get hit sure. by a bus tomorrow and die. Sure. So, I think for me, it's just doing these things has such a big payoff today, and that's why it's worth doing these. You know, enforcing these habits around exercise and your nutrition and your sleep because it improves almost every aspect of your life in the present moment.
2: Yeah. No, fair enough. I think that makes a lot of sense to me, and I guess the mindset is the way, the word that comes to me is patience as well with a lot of mm-hmm. this. And I'm curious whether, you know, we've started to talk about the physical and the mental parts of it, but in terms of that patient approach, that doing one thing every day, that gradual build-up, consistency, have you applied this to other areas of your life? And if you have, what have kind of, can you give us some examples, maybe what are the results have been as well?
0: Yeah. So I think the easy answer here is just to say that Well, by living longevity minded, it means you're going to exercise and sleep well. And then that's just going to naturally improve every area of your life, which I think that's true, but that maybe doesn't quite answer your question. So for me, the story that comes to mind is going back to high school, which for me is about 10 years ago now, hard to think about. But in grade nine and 10, I really didn't care about school and I had horrible grades. Like it wasn't important to me. I was out biking Mm -hmm. with my friends and school was not, not of concern, but I got to grade 11 and 12 and kind of heard about this university thing and started to look at schools. And I was like, okay, to get into the school I want to go to, I need to get a 91% average, which I was like miles below that. Like there is, that was inconceivable to me, but I had been working out for a few years and through that habit of working out and kind of watching what I'm eating, I developed a few really important character traits like persistence and grit and determination and i kind of i'd set goals in the gym and i'd achieved them so having that belief in that development in myself to have a goal and kind of persevere until i achieved it gave me confidence that i was able to somehow achieve this 91 percent average which was probably 20 percentage points above my current average so right. i think the the lesson for me here is that there is a lot of value in doing hard things and By proving to yourself you can do hard things, you build these character traits that will help you in every other area of your life. And I think you can work your way to a strong self-image. And in life, there's lots of hard things that are involuntary. So by doing involuntary hard things, you're better able to deal with those involuntary things that are challenging in life and put you through adversity.
2: Interesting. Involuntary hard things. Can you give us some examples of what you mean?
0: For sure. So life is full of unexpected surprises. You can get a phone call that someone you love passed away. You can have, you can get laid off at work and need to find a new job to support your family. So there's, you never know what's around the corner. And I think by putting yourself through challenging, hard work, even though it seems like going through some tough, grueling workout may not benefit you when you get laid off from a job, I think there are traits you learn when you're suffering or doing something challenging in exercise that in life when you're faced with adversity you can apply and have the confidence in yourself that you know what i got through that really hard workout and this is different but i've gotten through hard things before and although this is different it's kind of the same and i think i can get through this too
2: yeah that makes sense so yeah, i think you're saying so involuntary hard work is like going to the gym we're volunteering we're taking ourselves there we're doing the workout exactly is in- more like like you say, kind of get laid off unexpectedly from a job or something like that. Yeah, okay. But I guess yeah, it's good as it? you say. If I can do those pull-ups in the gym, then I can get through this as well. It's just a different type of yeah workout, you know, hard work. So okay, that's good. Well, I'd love to deep, dive deeper into your philosophy around fitness. So. From what i read, read you know it's around avoiding injury and disease and also being durable and functional which are quite interesting words so could you break that down for us a bit more and also kind of tell us what each part of that looks like
0: for sure this is a great topic i love to talk about so let's get a bit more specific so when we talk about avoiding disease we're really talking about these diseases that are kind of referred to as the four horsemen and Mm. these are the four chronic diseases that are responsible for most deaths in the western world so Mm in order of mortality rate, highest to lowest, we have diseases of atherosclerosis, which are things like heart attack and stroke. And then we have cancer. Then we have diseases of neurodegeneration, which are things like Alzheimer's and dementia. And then we have this bucket of metabolic diseases, which are like type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And although these don't kill people directly, they really contribute to those first three, which is why you hear all this buzz about metabolic health and how do I optimize my metabolic health? So really a big goal with my exercise is how do we prevent them entirely, which obviously genetics play a role, so you can't always control that, but there's a good chance that you can delay their onset. So instead of getting them at 75, maybe you can exercise and sleep a little bit better and change your eating and develop them at 80. And that gave you five more years of good health. Hmm. So that's kind of the the first piece as in regards to managing disease. And then it comes to, okay, well, we have these four diseases. How do we mitigate their risk? And there's four different pieces that we look at, and those are exercise, sleep, nutrition, emotional health. There's a fifth, which is this exogenous molecules, which is like supplements, drugs, hormones, hmm. um, but you asked about exercise. And luckily, exercise is a primary force and probably the most impact we can have on decreasing our risk for these diseases is through how we exercise. So, if you like, we can talk about different kinds of exercise and how you might train for longevity.
2: Yeah, great. I'd love
0: that. So, okay, awesome. So, there's kind of three buckets we're looking at. So, broadly speaking, you have your muscles, you have your cardiorespiratory system, and then you have your kind of your stability and your mobility and your flexibility kind of as one bucket. So there's different ways to look at how you might train for each of these and how you might decide to train for these. But you kind of need to do something for each if you want to optimize your training for longevity. So when you look at your muscle, so the kind of The thing you want to optimize for to extend your lifespan is strength. So although training for hypertrophy and increasing your muscle size is strongly correlated with your strength, optimizing for strength is really is what is what's going to extend your life the most. So there are different strength training protocols you can look at to become stronger. And if you like, actually we can talk about one really simple example of training for strength that people can implement tomorrow if this is something they want to work on.
2: Sure. Can you just just ask a question of what you said, though? Why? Sure. It's curious. Like I think of cardiovascular, oh, if yeah, my heart's good, you know, because heart disease, heart attacks, things like that, I, that you know, I, I think of those as big killers. But it's interesting you said that actually strength and developing strength is actually one of the biggest contributors to, to living. Can you explain why?
0: Yes. I think one really good example is false. So mm. above the age of 65 in the United States, the leading cause of accident-related death is actually false. And I can't quote the exact statistics on this, but it's something like if you fall over the age of 65 and break a bone, your chance of essentially being dead in the next 12 months is shockingly high. I won't quote the study because I can't recall the statistic right now, but you really want to avoid things like that as you age. And then the second piece to this strength is that your but
2: Jack, why, of- why, why are you likely to die in 12 months of having a fall? What's so, the kind of fact?
0: Yeah. So it's kind of a, a snowballing. So if you fall and break a bone, then you find yourself in the hospital and you're at an older age, you're more compromised. So your immune system may be more compromised. There might be complications in surgery because you're not as as young as you used to be. So there's kind of these ancillary reasons as to why having a fall can be such an issue as you age.
2: Yeah, and I guess also the other part it makes me think of is you're probably then going to be sedentary, so you can't be moving. Your mobility is going to start to go down. Your exactly, you're less, yeah. I imagine all, all these kind of I can see why the yeah the, the what do you call it fallout or the impacts of this can be so profound. Especially as you, you're older, it's harder to recover. It takes longer. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, exactly. great. That's that's helpful. Thank you. And and go back to yeah, I'd love to dug into what you said about how could people yeah set up and, and plan to train for strength.
0: Okay. Awesome. So this protocol is super simple. It's called the three to five protocol and it's easy to remember because everything is three to five. So you're basically going to exercise three to five days per week. Mm -hmm. Each time you exercise, you're going to do three to five exercises. You're going to do three to five sets of each exercise and three to five reps for each set. And you're going to rest three to five minutes between each set. Mm -hmm. So everything is three to five from the number of times per week down to how long you're resting and the important thing here is that you're lifting at 70 percent usually more probably closer to 80 or 85 70 percent plus of your one rep max so if you're lifting in this low repetition range you have to be lifting heavy weight which means you have to lift ideally 70 closer to 80 or 85 percent of your highest lift for the movement that you're doing
2: okay so i i you were talking through the three thrive and I was like yeah great 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 and then you then you got to the bit about the three to five minute rest which seemed like me like it seemed like a long or like a lot to me but then I also was thinking when I'm in the gym am I lifting 75% of my maximum uh, yeah kind of weight that I can lift so how do you establish first of all your your maximum weight do you just you go in the gym and keep lifting weights you're like oh I can't lift this is that is that the approach
0: so, that's actually a really good question because testing your one rep max can be really dangerous for a lot of people. Uh-huh. So, sure. if you go in there and you're, for example, deadlift is maybe a bit safer because you can just drop the weight. But yeah. if you're trying to really push yourself and test this on a one rep max for like a squat and you have that hmm. weight on your back, you can really hurt yourself. So, sure. a better way to do this is there's conversion charts. And if you just search up like one rep max conversion chart, there'll be a ton online. But you want to basically lift a heavy weight ideally it's more accurate the the lower you can get so for example if you go and lift something for 10 reps and then look at the conversion chart it's not going to be as accurate as if you lift something heavier for 5 reps so okay. you basically want to lift as heavy as you think you can for somewhere between you know 3 to 7 reps and then look at a conversion chart and base your percentages on that conversion
2: okay interesting yeah i, I feel like we're getting into the nuts and bolts of this which is great and i, but I wonder whether um, there'll be better to kind of move on to more general topics because i think people can dig into this stuff reading your 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 work and your book so but this is i think we're getting a good flavor of what's involved and it just makes me think yeah have i been what percentage of my one max one max have i been currently lifting but i need to look at those conversion charts so that's a great tip i'm interested to know what kind of parts of your longevity journey have been the most difficult and what's been the most hard kind of part to integrate into your, your life your routine um or like what have been the most kind of challenging changes you've had to make to your life as part of your longevity kind of journey
0: for sure so i think the the first piece is if you're making big lifestyle changes the social aspect of your life can definitely suffer so mm-hmm. i'm the guy who's in bed before 10 p.m and up at 6 a.m that you don't have to do that obviously if you're trying to improve your health that's just who i am because I you know, wanted to make sure I'm sleeping for you know seven to eight hours at least and mm-hmm. get up early so I can, you know, do the things I need to do. Uh, but that means you can miss out on some stuff. And I think this also ties into like drinking. I stopped right. drinking pretty much immediately after graduating, which was a fantastic decision, but can make you a bit of a social outcast at times. Mm. Like I was at a party last week seeing friends, and I was the guy drinking like a soda water and that means you're not always going to you know, blend in the best with your, your social setting. But I think this also speaks to looking at how you can change your social group and your lifestyle to reinforce your habits. So finding those people who also don't drink or who also do the kind of exercise that you're into or who are also up at 6 a.m. So starting to develop friendships that kind of jive with your lifestyle can really help kind of cope with some of that social social challenge of making these big lifestyle changes and then something else i've been thinking about alex that i think can be a really i struggle with this a lot and i think a lot of other people do is just the pure amount of information out there and how it can almost add worry to your life so there's a massive net positive impact that you know being longevity minded and thinking about your health can have but if you're constantly bombarded with information that you need to optimize your sleep by doing this and do this kind of exercise, you start to think that I'm not doing enough. And if I don't do this, then I'm doomed. Like, I'm not gonna live as long as I could. Like, like, so you start to get into these kind of mental rabbit holes and you don't feel great about yourself. So I think it's really important to kind of realize how much information you're taking in and sometimes stop and step away from it and realize that everything you listen to online The person writing it doesn't always do it, and sometimes they make mistakes. So being able to embrace different aspects of the information online about exercise and sleep, but also not letting it interfere with your life is something I'm still working through because I spend a lot of time writing and researching in this field, and it can consume you sometimes. So just learning to step back and not let it take over everything.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Well, first of all, going back to what you said about alcohol, yeah, I, I can really relate to that. I've I've recently stopped drinking probably in the last year, not really just because I decided to do it. I think it probably is linked to my longevity interest as well. I was like, yeah, you know, I want to do everything I can to contribute to my health and well-being now. And I just realized that alcohol was not contributing to it. But, yeah, if it, <laughs> it's different. If I'd stopped drinking at 24, that would have been very mm-hmm. different. If I think what I did and, you know, yeah, it's socially, it, it's hard, isn't it? Because I think our societies, at least Western societies maybe, Definitely have alcohol is quite a kind of, there's a, yeah, lots of stuff around it. So I, I get the challenge, yeah. but, and I kind of, you know, got a lot of respect for you giving it up. And then, so I think you mentioned the second part about the information. Yeah, I definitely have that experience of it's There's so much out there and some of it's conflicting. You're like, well, hang on, this guy I've been following, trust, he's now saying something different to this other guy or this other lady I've been following for a while. So it is. And you can think, oh God, what am I doing? It's so confusing. Am I doing it wrong? Am I not doing enough? All this. So, Really can relate to that, but I think maybe it's an interesting segue to talk about. We talked about quite a lot about physical parts of longevity, but you know, I think the you talk about the emotional and kind of uh, mental. Uh, we talk different from mindset, but then you know, mental. How would you describe it, Jack? I guess, but the the, the emotional part of longevity yeah. is important too. So maybe you could dig into that and explain a bit about how that plays a role.
0: Yeah, so I think this piece, especially for Westerners, is really important to think about because. We're such an individualistic society that mm. we often think, you know, I got this. I don't need anyone else to help or support me. And I think that has a really big negative impact on our health. And I'm the first horrible at this. I think if anything needs to go in my life, the first thing I default to is friendships and relationships. Like if I don't mm. have time for something, I'm not going to skimp out on, you know, my work or my exercise, it's going to be a friendship that goes. So I think. This is really tuning into something that we don't give enough homage to in Western society, which is focusing on our relationships and our community. And that's a really, it's not the only piece to emotional health, but I think it's a really important one to place a big focus on and not let drop when you get really busy. And then, so beyond that relationship and friendship management piece, we're also looking at things like stress. And I know stress is talked about more so now but it's Mm. still almost swept under the rug and not really appreciated. Like we can see how eating something unhealthy or not exercising increases your chance of developing some form of disease because they're physical, tangible things. But stress is this kind of ephemeral thing that we can't gauge if we're high stress, low stress. And it's hard to manage because Mm. the only way you can manage it is by doing other things that influence it. So I think it's more giving light to these emotional relationship management pieces and stress. And I guess the the third piece on that would be your level of fulfillment in your life. Like, Do you feel mm-hmm. like you have a purpose and do you feel fulfilled in your job and your relationships and in your personal life? Do you feel good about yourself? It's kind of answering some of these questions and figuring out what we can do to, to boost that uh, less talked about part of our lives.
2: Yeah, no, that's so interesting. I think you, do you just explain what you mean about the Western society. We're a very an individualized society. Yeah, just can you give us some examples of that? Yeah, so I think
0: there's a new show out about the Blue Zones. Have you seen that on Netflix before? Oh. Yeah, so it's the Blue Zones, I'm sure you're familiar with, but it's basically, I think it's seven different regions around the world that have been identified as having more centenarians, which are just people oh. who are 100 or older than average, mm-hmm. like. Okinawa in Japan, the island off the coast of Italy, mm-hmm. Sardinia, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. That's that's an area there and one thing we see in all of these communities is, or areas is that they have a really big emphasis on community. So mm-hmm. it's a big part of these people's lives is, you know, contributing to and benefiting from the community. So when you get sick or when you have someone you need to talk to, you have someone to go to. Mm-hmm. But at least especially for men i think it's even worse because men can sometimes shell up and not share their Mm -hmm. emotions when we're struggling we don't have a community like sometimes we have a close friend we can talk to but oftentimes we just keep it to ourselves and i think that links back into increasing stress and Mm -hmm. having a community and a network of support around you is an undervalued but i think really important aspect to not just living longer, but living a much more fulfilled and purposeful
2: life. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And um, it, it kind of makes me think of what you said earlier though, about when you're talking about the alcohol and how you started to look for a new group of friends who also, you know, focus on longevity, maybe don't drink. Cause I guess it's like finding the right community, isn't it? Because you can get into a community relatively easy, but they might not be aligned with your values or even like a positive influence. So I guess it is finding the exactly. right one yeah i recently went on a men's retreat and got many things from doing that but one was i came away thinking god i really don't have a real community of men around me or like, at least you know kind of ones that who are aligned with my values i would say so and and i you know the benefits of being around men who are you know willing to share open about the challenges they're facing it's very refreshing and and it was nourishing which i think is what you're kind of speaking to so yeah that's a really great point um you know our podcast is called the intelligent performance podcast i'm curious to hear from your perspective what was intelligent performance mean to you
0: so i think intelligent performance starts with a definition so hmm. what are you trying to perform well at and why and like have you ever sat in like in a corporation have you sat in like a goal setting or like a forward planning session before have you yeah. ever been in that kind of It's almost laughable how vague different organizations can be at setting goals. It's almost like if we make this really vague, then we might get it. We might not. But even if we fail, you're not going to know we failed because the initial goal was so vague. So Hmm. I think it comes down to getting really specific. And one story I like is Derek Sivers. He's a really interesting guy. He was on a Tim Ferriss podcast a couple of times. Hmm. And Tim asked him this question. He said, who is the first person that comes to mind when you think of success? Mm -hmm. And he gave a bit of an intro, but he reframed the question to who is the third person that comes to mind when you think of success? Mm -hmm. And for him, his first person was Richard Branson. His second was maybe Tim Ferriss. And then his third and final answer was, we can't know without knowing their aim. And the example he gives is, What if Richard Branson was setting out to live some quiet, relaxing life, but like a compulsive gambler, he just couldn't stop creating companies? Well, then he wouldn't be successful at all because he's this mega famous billionaire and he's not living the quiet life he set out to live. So I think it starts with that definition. And then once you know why you want to perform well, you can inform your strategy based on your specific outcome.
2: I love that. That's really interesting. Yeah, I guess it makes me think, you know, success is relative. It's all in what does success look like for you? And then you can maybe find people who um, their success aligns with your success. Otherwise, you know, they won't be successful in your eyes. So yeah, really good point. I love that chat. Great. Um, You know, you've written an ebook in addition to the newsletter you and the website you run. But I was interested to know what had you and what prompted you to write your ebook?
0: Yeah, so... I've been into this kind of whole sphere of self-development and entrepreneurship and working for yourself. Tim Ferriss has had a really big impact on kind of how I uh-huh. think about creating a job. And, you know, the four-hour work week and, and the principles there have really had me interested in, you know, can I actually create a business and somehow make money for myself independently? And I think it was on a canoe this summer with my brother. And he was telling me about this small bets course he took with a guy named Daniel Vassallo. And he said, you know, just take a small bet, take some time, put together an ebook and see if you can get it into people's hands that will find value out of it. So Mm -hmm. I kind of took my two favorite activities, which are exercise and travel, and merged them. And over the past year, I've traveled for like 139 days, 140 days, something like that, across 12 countries, four different continents. And of course, course, I continued to exercise and stay in shape. So, really, the E was just an amalgamation of how I stay fit on the road and sharing with others how they can too. So, it was kind of taking something I've done and proven to be effective and sharing with other people.
2: That's great. Yeah, when I when I saw that I was, I, when I saw your book about how to you know keep training on the road. I was like, yeah, I've I've, I've traveled quite a lot and it's been a challenge to try and keep the consistency both of routine, but also, you know, given the availability of gyms, equipment, stuff like that. So actually, before I kind of start to wrap up, I'd just love to dive into that a little bit more about, I think your philosophy is actually you don't need to go to the gym to work yeah. it out. To, so can you just tell us, I mean, for me, when I go to the gym now, there are certain weights I want to, certain machines I use. And I think, well, I wouldn't be able to achieve what I want to achieve. I couldn't have access to those. But so how do you approach it?
0: Yeah. So I love going to the gym, but uh, since COVID, I actually never returned. So I bought wow. a bunch of kettlebells. I have a rucksack and I a have a pull-up bar, and I kind of do all my exercise with those. Of course, when I go on the road, I no longer have access to those kettlebells. And if I can't find a gym, then which I usually can't because I'm in a new spot every three or four days, right. then it's just down to my body weight. And I kind of laid this out in the book, but there were all these ways that we can Increase the load on our body without actually increasing the weight or using an Mm. external weight. So, I think the best example of this is with the archer push up, which is kind of like almost a one arm push up, but you just take your other arm out to the side to support yourself. And essentially, what you're doing is you're putting a lot more load on one side of your body that's working because your other arm is not really pushing, it's kind of just stabilizing you. So, Mm. we haven't changed the weight at all, but Now your body is under a much higher percentage of your own body weight, and it's causing you to work harder. So taking some of these different principles you can to increase the load on your body without needing weights allows you to stay strong. And I think coming back to the mentality piece, a big thing for me is that when I was traveling and out of my routine i got really anxious i was like i was really fit at home i don't want to come back from this trip and like be back to square one so i got a lot of exercise anxiety and a big part for me was like how can i exercise while i'm traveling to make sure that i keep that fitness so Hmm. really it's not just okay how can i you know maintain my strength and muscle and while i'm traveling but how can i make sure that I'm not just thinking about, am I gonna come back less fit and actually embrace the unpredictable nature of travel while staying fit. So that was a big benefit to me as well from like capturing all this information together um, and keeping it in one place.
2: I love that. Yeah, I've definitely had exactly the same thought. Oh, I just wanna try be in the same place I am now when I get back from my trip, but you know, by reframing it as well, how can I actually use this as an opportunity? Yeah, I, I love that. I think that's brilliant. I'm definitely go, I'm going to go to the gym shortly after we finished recording, but I'm going to try one, the archer push-up. I'm, I'm intrigued. This sounds great. <laughs> so I don't know if I'll be able to do it, but I'll give it a go. Hmm. Awesome. Well, as we start to wrap up, I'd love to know kind of really my last question is, well, what's the future hold for you now? What's kind of next in your longevity journey, just life more generally?
0: Yeah. So I actually just quit my job with the government of Canada in August, and that was just me wanting To pursue more meaningful work and and travel as well that's that's the other piece of it so Mm. really for me i'm kind of in this weird transition stage where i'm treating my online writing like a full-time job and trying to figure out how to expand the reach of my newsletter while continuing to make the impact that i initially set out to make which is you know educating and inspiring people on how can you live longer feel healthier and live a more purposeful life so I'm going to be working on that and continuing to, you know, scale and grow my my newsletter and my blog and actually take off to Rio de Janeiro in about two weeks, where mm. I'll spend two days. And then I'm off to Argentina, where I'll spend about two months kind of making my way through the whole country.
2: Amazing. Well, yeah, I just want to say thank you on a personal note because you have definitely been a big influence in my longevity journey so far and you know having read a lot of your articles on your website have been super helpful it's opened my eyes to so many different things yeah so thank you for what you're doing for, for me but also I know you know your, your 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 passion is trying to yeah contribute to all different people around the world so thank you for that and i wish you the best of luck so thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today it's been fascinating and best of luck with your your travels
0: yeah thank you alex
2: pleasure